And if you can, if you can have a, a big focus on quality of life and making a positive impact on people's, uh, you know, well-being, and and maybe take a little bit less profit for yourself, then you know, then then look at the impact that you're making not only to them but also to the people that learn from them. Welcome to the Big Self Podcast. We are a community for curious people, for people at a life or career crossroads, ready to rejoin their soul and their role. We are insatiably curious about how self-knowledge can make us better humans and help us make a bigger impact. The more we learn, the better we get. And there are people from a wide variety of disciplines doing the work. They can teach us something about ourselves and the work we can do. I'm Shelley Prevost. I'm an educational psychologist. And I'm Chad Prevost. I'm a writer and teacher. We are partners in business and partners in life. We have in-depth conversations that cut to the chase and reveal that our inner work is critical if we want to leave a mark on the world. This is Big Self Work. Let's get started. For several years, Charles Loomis served as the food service director for Green Life Grocery Stores in Asheville and Chattanooga. When the company eventually sold to Whole Foods, Charlie became the executive chef for 1885 Grill before co-opening the Feed Co. Table and Tavern Southern Comfort Food. Charlie has worked with multiple organizations to teach healthy eating in both cities. He assisted in forming Chef Nights in Chattanooga, a program that would help children and parents in lower income areas to use fresh produce and instill healthier eating habits. He helped start multiple school garden programs, healthy school lunch programs, and healthy cookbooks. Charlie has worked with many publications, including Food and Wine Magazine, Organic Gardening, Epicurious, Southern Living, and Michelle Obama's The White House Garden Cookbook. He's made multiple appearances on Food Network and Cooking Channel shows, including The Best Thing I Ever Ate, and he was a winner on the season one finale, Cooks vs. Cons, and most notoriously in January, he beat Bobby Flay with one of his favorite dishes, Eggs Benedict. Charlie has recently located back to his hometown of Leesburg, Virginia, after getting laid off due to COVID-19, and right now he plans on focusing on community outreach programs to help get restaurants back on track. He has started a live streaming supper club called the Ad Hoc Supper Club. Hey, Charlie. Welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you here. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be on here. I love the podcast. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Thanks for uh, being willing to jump in during your busy schedule. Yeah, and um, we have already introduced you to the audience, but if anyone has been living under a rock and doesn't know Charlie Loomis, he <laughs> is one of the most revered chefs here in our community, and I think probably even regionally right now. Uh, he has had quite a bit of success going forward with his career and is also a member in our, of our Big Self Facebook group, um, and we really wanted to get you on here to talk about your your professional path and the the inner work that you've done to get where you are, and you know, talking about even some of the the pitfall pitfalls along the way and what you've learned. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to, if we can, start with going back a little bit. Uh, you are a chef. You own a restaurant. Um, I'm really interested in when, like, what was going on in your childhood and your early life that got you interested in cooking? It's not something that a lot of boys get into. How did you Mm -hmm. fall into it? Like, what was interesting to you about it? And if you could just kind of take us back a little bit. 
Sure. So, I mean, it, it started with my love for eating. And I found that <laughs> when I snuck into the kitchen and was awesome. helping my, uh, you know, my mother, my grandmother, my, my aunties and, and helping everybody with the uh, preparation of the food that I would get to, you know, pull little bits of the chicken off and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and taste things, you know, taste things as they go. And, and so really it's, uh, um, it, it, I guess it probably started with that. And, uh, and then I just found that, that I really enjoyed it. You know, I, I loved the aspect of, uh, I loved the learning aspect of it. Um, and, and as I've grown, I really love the teaching aspect of it as well. But, you know, when I was young, just being able to get in there and, and I'm like, seven years old and they're letting me use a knife, you know, I thought that was so cool. And, and, uh, yeah, it kind of went from there, uh, to, you know, fast forward to, to age 14. Um, I got my first job in a, uh, actually a a fast food restaurant. It was a a fried chicken restaurant called Roy Rogers. And, uh, I think I've heard of that. Yeah. And it was great because I also found my, my first true love there, uh, which is fried chicken. Um, (laughs) Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, it was like, I, I, I felt like I was kind of cheating the system cause I got to hang out with all of my best friends. Um, I loved cooking. And so I felt like, you know, how am I getting paid to do this? Like, this is incredible. And my grandfather always told me, you know, if you, uh, if you can get paid to do what you love then uh, then, then just stick with it, you know, do that. That's amazing. Cause I'll tell you, I worked at uh, a little Caesars. I worked at a subway and I worked at Taco Bell and it just didn't translate the same way. <laughs> my, my brother actually worked at, at one of those restaurants when he was really young and he came home one day and he was like, this is awesome. I got to stir the sauce while I was smoking a cigarette. <laughs> and then I'm not joking. And then, uh, and this is when he's, he's probably 15 years old. And then he comes home the next day and he's like, well, Maybe that's not so cool, and, and he stopped working there. <laughs> like <laughs> caught wind, so to speak, of, uh, of that. So, but what was it about the cooking? I mean, obviously the kind of the picking and the eating and kind of sneaking. Mm-hmm. But was it was it a creative process for you? Was it? I know a lot of chefs talk about kind of the social connection of of providing food and being around a table. So even at that early age, uh, what kind of sparked your interest and curiosity with the craft of cooking? Sure. So, I mean, to me, cooking is just such an emotional thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, uh, it brings together families, it brings together friends, and there's, to me, just no better, better way to, to bond and to, to, you know, spend quality time than to, to cook a meal and then to sit down and eat it. And, uh, you know, my, my, my parents, my mom actually grew up in, uh, in Brazil. Um, my, uh, my grandparents were, uh, uh, they, they worked for the government. And so, you know, my whole aunts, uncles, everybody all grew up in Brazil. And so we had this kind of cool blend of, um, you know, Southern Virginia, you know, or Northern mm-hmm. Virginia, but, you know, good Southern food mixed with this, uh, a completely different culture that none of my friends knew about. And so uh, it was really cool and, and kind of unique to me to, to kind of play around with those different flavors and to kind of, you know, blend it all together. But yeah, the, the creative process and then, and then definitely the emotional side as well of, of, uh, of preparing a meal is what kind of drew me to it. Wow. I would have loved that Brazilian influence, I think. Um, sounds fantastic. So, so I think we're, you've, you've hinted at some um, personal, um, like family influences. Um, as, you, as you begin to 
I, I, you know, you loved cooking, but as you began to see professionally, Hey, maybe I want to do this, this chef thing. Um, were there any mentors or kind of influences that, that led you there? Or was this always kind of a thing that, that you knew you wanted to do? Um, well, definitely a lot of the, uh, a lot of the women in my families were, were, were heavy influences. Um, cause honestly, everyone in my family is a, a great cook. Um, and then I would say same with my dad and the, the funny thing is that my, you know, between the two of them, I was able to kind of find that balance as a chef because my, my mother is the by the book chef that, you know, she follows the recipe to the T and my dad is the creative chef. That's like, uh, you know, I'm going to pour some of this in here. I'm going to throw some of that in there. And the dish is different every time, but it was always fantastic. Mm. Um, so I'd have to say a lot of my family members and then, uh, honestly, the, the first time that I, that I stepped into a, a, a proper restaurant kitchen, um, and I saw everybody in their, their pressed white chef jackets, um, everybody had their own chef knives and, and they had this, uh, way of, of talking to each other. That was almost like a different language because they had all these different, you know, this terminology. And I immediately just wanted to fully immerse myself into the culture and, and, mm-hmm. you know, figure it out, you know, figure out what they're, what they're saying and. And, you know, you have a, a it was a very diverse uh, group of people. Um, everybody's from different cultures, but they're all working towards this common goal of, of making the guest happy. And so it, it was just, uh, you know, I guess I guess all the original, uh, you know, cooks that I first started working with were a, a heavy influence as well. So I know that you, um, I think with some partners, opened Feed Table and Tavern here in mm-hmm. Chattanooga. What year was that? Uh, 2015. Okay. 15. Okay. So I'm, yeah, to go from, you know, um, a young guy who's interested in cooking to, okay, now I think I really want to pursue this professionally as a chef to then going into, and you may have other restaurants, I don't know, but I know feed to go in to take that leap. Like talk about that. What was that process where you decided that you were ready to put a stake in the ground and create your own dining experience and restaurant. Um, how did you get to that place where you were ready to do that? Sure. Well, uh, I mean, first off, to be honest, I'm I'm uh, I've currently uh, or recently relocated. Uh, at least, you know, hopefully temporarily. We'll see what mm-hmm. happens. But with the, uh, you know, with everything that's going on, um, I've I've started kind of having to focus on what's really important, and so. Sure. I wanted to get closer to where my family is. And so I've for now relocated back to Virginia and uh, where my parents are. My, my aunt actually contracted COVID-19 and she's a a heavy at risk person. So I've been, you know, trying to help her out and and do some stuff there, but I hope she's um, okay. She's, you know, she's like, this lady is like bulletproof. Like, I don't know what's going on there, but like all the stuff that she's gone through in life, like she's still making jokes and she's, uh, she's on the upward swing now. So she's, she's getting better. Awesome. Um, but yeah, so we, um, uh, as far as feed goes, um, you know, Miguel and Dustin, I've been, you know, kind of best friends with them for, since I moved to Chattanooga and, um, I, I started, uh, my journey to Chattanooga with, uh, with Green Life Grocery. Mm-hmm. And so I opened the, uh, Green Life Grocery in, uh, Asheville, North Carolina. And then I moved to, to Chattanooga to open that one as well. And uh, obviously we did a good job because Whole Foods wound up purchasing us. And, and yep. after we opened the second store, we were pretty much immediately the uh, uh, 
largest independent uh, organic and natural food store in on the East Coast. And so it was very successful. Um, and so after the uh, after the merge, uh, I wound up. Uh, Miguel was just opening up 1885. And I was always really good friends with with he and 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 Leslie and and Bria was good friends with with my kids and and so I wanted to help them you know and it was uh, mm-hmm. it was just kind of a interesting time for me trying to figure out how to balance uh, you know the the great thing about the uh, organic and natural food business was I was able to be home every night for dinner mm-hmm. and that was really important to me uh, while while the kids were at a young age and at this point they're getting a little bit older and. You know, and I did, you know, once you have the restaurant itch, it's really difficult to get rid of. <laughs> like you, you know, if you're, if you're made for restaurants, then, then you just absolutely love it. And so I did miss that aspect. And so, you know, I told, I told Miguel, you know, I'd, I'd love to get in there and, and support he, Leslie and Bria and, and, and really try to, to, to help them as much as I could. And, uh, you know, obviously they already had a great blue blueprint and, we're doing a great job. And I felt like there was some stuff that I could add to it. So, so I jumped on board as the uh, executive chef there. And uh, I mean, it was a instant success. Uh, Miguel is one of the best operators that I've ever met. Um, and, uh, and then with feed, he wanted to partner that with, with Dustin uh, who owns uh, Tremont Tavern and, and, uh, and Dustin is like, I mean, he's like the, uh, the exception to the rule. Like he's one of the most amazing people and one of the kindest people that you'll ever meet, but he had no restaurant background and decided to, to open this place. And I mean, it's like one of the most successful restaurants in yeah. Chattanooga. Like yeah. it's yeah, absolutely sure. fantastic. It's packed so he has, You're taking oh, yeah. me back actually real briefly. Um, when we first moved to uh, Chattanooga in 2004 and uh, moved to Dartmouth street, uh, we were right across the street from Green Life Grocery and the Tremont Tavern. And those, I mean, speaking of like making a difference in our community, you know, like that whole Green Life was kind of making Chattanooga kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Like it was like to, to like hip to, to be there. And it, it is um, amazing the, the sort of the life of that. And then, yeah, going to the Whole Foods. I remember um, mm-hmm. we were visiting looking for houses. So we moved here from Atlanta. Our realtor, Melissa Dorn, took us to Green Life, the old Green Life in North Chad, mm-hmm. you know, over yeah, uh, the first, Tremont. The first, yeah. And that's when I was like, all right, this if we are moving to Chattanooga, we're going to live in North Chattanooga, and this is going to be my grocery store. And then we yep. bought a house like to, you know, a block down. Mm-hmm. down but all of our so. listeners may not be interested in us going down memory lane. Um, so you, so you started, um, so you, so you started with the feed there. The feed has also just been, yeah, super uh, popular. yeah. And, and yeah, and I do know, uh, a Dustin of whom you speak and, um, he's, it's been wherever he goes, it seems like you guys are creating successful, um, places that people like. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm, I'm curious if you, Charlie, do you still have the restaurant itch? Is that just um, part of your DNA now? To, to a point, yes. Um, but, yeah. uh, well, so, so recently I've kind of launched this concept of, of streaming uh, virtual supper clubs. And, uh, and the cool thing there is that I'm taking all my favorite parts of being a chef, the ideas of, of being able to teach people, uh, being able to cook, obviously, and then, and then, uh, 
you know, and then also just interacting with guests. And so if I can have, you know, 10 people on a, on a zoom screen at a time, and maybe they're each a couple, you know, a, a husband and wife team, and I pre-send them the recipe and we'll maybe make a cocktail together, an appetizer and an entree, or we can pair the meal with wine. Wow. Um, sign me up. I love that. Oh my gosh. It's, it's so brilliant. much fun. It's yeah. so much fun. And so I've, I've just kind of gotten into that and, uh, it's 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 been very successful so far. We called it uh, called the ad hoc supper club. Ah, uh, I love that. Uh, really we'll, fun. We'll put a place in our show notes where people can can find more information. Well, here let's uh, so let's claim to fame. Tell us about your experience. Like what? So you you beat Bobby Flay, which is not easy. Every time I watch the episode, he wins. He's really <laughs> competitive. What, what led you to like signing up for that challenge and taking it on and then, uh, incredibly beating him? Sure. So, so I did a show a, a few years ago called uh, cooks versus cons and I wound up winning that show. And, oh. uh, once you're kind of in the food network loop, they, they try to, to, keep you in there. And, and so they kept asking me, you know, if I wanted to do some of these other shows and, and some of them, you know, I felt like I was going to get, uh, uh, just, you know, when I get back to the restaurant, they're going to completely, uh, rake me over the coals for running around a grocery store with a grocery cart and then cooking a meal. And, and, you know, and I, I like watching those shows, but I just, it wasn't my personality. And so, yeah. When they asked me to do Beat Bobby Flay, that was kind of the one that I always wanted to do. I mean, he's like the most winningest Iron Chef. Um, <laughs> he he always wins that show. And and there was a, another show that he did called Throwdown with Bobby Flay where he'd go to other people's town and challenge them to <laughs> whatever dish they're known for. And he'd always win that one, too. So I'm like, I, I got to do like I got to like I want to be on here. And really and truly, I just wanted to represent well for Chattanooga. Um, so I was like, you know, don't lose in the first round and don't make any ugly food and try to make sure that your station stays clear. It, it didn't really cross my mind to actually beat him. So that was like a, that was, that was huge for me. And, yeah. and strangely enough, you beat him at his signature dish, right? Tell us about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I decided that if I was going to, uh, go at him and, and compete against the best, then I want to do something in his wheelhouse and I wanted to do something that he was known for. And, and, uh, uh, so eggs Benedict, uh, I mean, he's got, you know, brunch with Bobby. Uh, he's got cookbooks about brunch. He's got, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's apparently one of his big things is brunch and eggs Benedict is like the, uh, his, uh, his, his signature dish as far as brunch goes. And so I decided I'd, I'd, you know, take okay. a, a, a gamble and, and just go after it. And, and yeah, it proved to, to be successful. It was good. It was a good decision. Um, <laughs> so I want to uh, shift a little bit and talk about kind of some of your learnings, your personal learnings along the way. So one mm-hmm. of the things that we believe here, Chad and I, and you know, big self community, we talk about this a lot is that ambition is not a four letter word. A lot of people, mm-hmm. I think um, we have a complicated relationship with ambition because it can be so, uh, important and powerful for us to do the work we 
want to be doing and impact people the way that we want to be impacting them, but it can also get us into trouble and Mm -hmm. uh, take us to places where maybe ambition becomes a workaholism or leads to burnout, leads to distress. And so I wanted to see um, if you could kind of talk about, because obviously to get to a point where you're beating Bobby Flay at his dish takes a lot of ambition. It takes a lot of self-belief and and putting yourself out there and confidence. And so mm-hmm. how have those qualities served you well? And maybe Bobby Flay is like a penultimate example. Mm-hmm. And then maybe where have they tripped you up a little bit or crippled you where you feel like you've really had to re-examine your relationship with ambition and, and work-life balance? Well, I mean, I was, I was fortunate enough at an early age to figure out, um, that the most, uh, at least, you know, at least as far as I can see, the most important thing in, in, uh, in most careers really, um, is to find the balance between passion and discipline, you know, and, mm. and if you can, uh, or ambition and, and discipline, however you want to put it, but it's, it's something where, you know, if you've got this driving force to, uh, to, to just keep plugging along because this is what you'd love to do, then you better put the brakes on and figure out the things that you don't like to do that have to happen. And you force yourself to look at these details and, and, uh, and, and once you can find that balance and, and maybe you do that through checklists, maybe you do that through uh, uh, reminders or, or task lists or whatever it is. But that was to me at an early age in order for me to, to propel myself to, you know, to a, a management position at an early age or, um, you know, notoriety on the food network or anything like that. I, I knew I had to take care of a business. And to me, that was what I had at home, you know, taking care of the kids, making sure that, um, that, that I'm there. And so I was able to, you know, kind of put my career on hold and, and take this position with green life, knowing that, you know, I'd be able to be home for dinner. And mm-hmm. just like I said, in the beginning, one of the most important things to me is that, emotional feeling of being able to to share a meal with somebody or sit around the table and, and talk. And if I wasn't there to do that, then I knew I was going to be a, a hypocrite. So I, I took the position at Green Life Grocery, which to a lot of chefs might, might not have been, um, you know, a, a, a great move that's going to get you uh, notoriety or anything like that. But that wasn't nearly as important to me as, as making sure to to take care of the kids. But I guess to answer your question, where where it has tripped me up is those times where I ignored the discipline, and and I kind of kept pushing along. And I mean, there were times where I've done, you know, hundred hour work weeks, um, opening restaurants, and you know, I may not may not have been there as much as I should have during those times. But you know, again, I was fortunate enough to be able to to write myself and and get back on the path. Yeah, and so when you talk about discipline. Um, I hear it two ways, I think. I hear it in terms of um, kind of pu- pushing yourself into do- in the work that you don't necessarily want to be doing, mm-hmm. that there has to be some type of uh, acceptance of, you know, the Will Smith quote, I think he says you from one of his movies, I don't know, and we tell our kids this all the time, you have to, sometimes you have to do what you have to do so that you can do what you want to do. So that's exactly. Yeah, that makes me think of one type of discipline. And then also um, a discipline in Chad and I've been talking a lot about just managing expectations. Like there's some of that too. Like just because Mm -hmm. you can do 
all that you, you know, you do have these hundred hours of the week or you do have the possibility of opening multiple restaurants. Sometimes we have to step back and really look at, should I? Uh, And that's Mm -hmm. a really, for those of us that have big goals, that's a hard thing to do sometimes. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, there's, there's been several times in my life where I've, I've ignored that little voice that told me, you know, just say no, just don't, don't Mm -hmm. do this. And, and it's, uh, you know, it's those times that I, I really highlight when I'm, you know, when I'm asked to, uh, to take on a task or to take on a job or to, um, accept more responsibility. And so I have to really meditate on whether or not, um, you know, not if it's going to have a positive outcome, but what's going to happen on that journey to, you know, completing that task. Like what, what, what's going to fall, what's going to, mm. um, what parts am I not going to be able to accomplish during that? And so it's a, that's a tough balance. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to a point, um, with my burnout one, I didn't recognize it. Um, and I really kind of like justified it almost like it's a part of the the journey. It's a part of getting to where I want to go. Um, and so mm-hmm. it became like this, I don't know, like some weird sick badge of honor almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the startup culture, um, of course, like, especially I think in the 2010s was all about, right. That just like, just grind. Hustle. That was one of the, yeah. And the hustle thing. And I mean, of course, Charlie, like the, the food and restaurant industry, you, you may need to be a special kind of breed of, of person to, uh, to take that on and you love the pat, but it also, it breeds unhealthy cultures where burnout is, is the norm. Um, mm-hmm. so how, like, you know, what if, have you seen a lot of it and like when you kind of pulled yourself back, like, was there cultural resistance or, or challenges that you had to face? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely that stigma of, um, you know, what, what people think a chef is. And so you've got a lot of cooks that kind of model themselves after their, their mentors. And mm-hmm. so I think it's very important to, um, to, you know, it's, you, you've got to be really careful on how you're training people. And so when, when they see you, um, you know, just throwing yourself into the fire and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and burning yourself out, but then you, you know, you, you barely make it, you know, and, and, uh, and then you kind of, you know, like you said, wearing that as a badge of honor, like, like the sacrificial lamb, you know, but what, yeah. what's it get you in the long run? A, you're you're not teaching your people how to to have the discipline portion. Uh, B, you're definitely burning yourself out. And C, you're following right into that path of of what chefs have always been. Um, and and to me, I've always liked to to break the bull, you know, break the rules and 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 break the mold. And so, you know, a lot of people think that in order to be a chef, you have to be able to, uh, drink all night and then get up early in the morning and, and just kill it all day and then go home and, and rinse and repeat, do the whole thing over again. And to me, I wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, I wasn't only there to take care of my boys, but also to, to, to take care of myself. You know, a lot of chefs are, are overweight and they, they don't, um, you know, they don't practice, uh, you know, they don't, they don't take care of themselves. And, and so all these things that, that you look at as, uh, you know, as a kid of what a chef should be, um, a lot of them are drug addicts. Uh, they drink a lot. 
they're overweight and all these things. Like I just wanted to kind of do the opposite and, and, you know, let people know that I don't, I don't, I don't play by the rules, you know, I'll, I'll, mm. I'll be how I want to. I don't have anything to prove as far as that goes. I was going to say, you know, also we have these models, speaking of TV and chefs, you know, Gordon Ramsay, the sort of army sergeant perfectionist. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. then we, you know, there's the Anthony Bourdain's who you think, golly, man, does life get any more interesting and amazing than that? Mm -hmm. And he, you know, kills himself. Mm -hmm. It's so disturbing. And he, of course, had addiction issues. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just like, there is, it's, I think the stereotype is real. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, um, that's, uh, that's one thing that I think that everyone's going to have to, to really wrap their heads around is that, uh, it's, you know, you can still lead a normal life. You can still work, uh, typical hours and, and be a successful chef. And it's just a matter of, um, the restaurant tour and how, how their minds work. And if you can if you can have a, a big focus on quality of life and making a positive impact on people's uh, you know well being and and maybe take a little bit less profit for yourself then you know then then look at the impact that you're making not only to them but also to the people that learn from them. Do you think that that's shifting in the restaurant industry? You know, I think about like the startup you know industry for lack of a better mm-hmm. word, the tech sector, finance, or like a lot of these um, kind of like h- highly driven, like that's in the culture. You know, do you, mm-hmm. are you hopeful that that's changing in your industry? I am. There's, there's, there's some people that are doing a really good job at that. Um, Sean Brock's a great example. Um, you know, he hit his uh, burnout point uh, two years ago, a uh, year and a half ago. Um, a good friend of mine, uh, James Wyatt, he actually worked for me both here in Chattanooga and in Asheville. He's in that, he's the sous chef that's in that uh, cover article of when uh, Sean Brock decided to, to you know, mm-hmm. stop drinking, um, focus more on his family and, and focus on what's important. Um, I think that that statement needs to be uh, highlighted a lot more because it's, it just really, it rings true to so many people. And um, I think that, you know, yes, I'm hopeful, but, uh, it's, it's difficult to, um, be too optimistic right now, just because, you know, a lot of chefs are going to put themselves out there and say, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do better. I'm going to take care of myself more. I'm going to work less. And a lot of times they kind of fall right back into it. And Mm -hmm. so I think it's going to take, um, you know, something bigger to, to really make that impact. And I don't, I don't know what that is, but I just know that as a, as a chef, I've, I've been on that side and I won't allow myself to fall back into that part. And, you know, you, you kind of have to have support to, to, to make that happen. I guess, is it because, what is it? I mean, is it a, a be, being a chef? It's so like, there is something so romantic about the, the concept of it. it. It seems like one of those things that is like, could really be seen as, as a vocation or a calling. And it's this immersive sensory experience, right? Where you're like, you're, you're looking at the food and you're smelling it and you're feeling it's very tactile. I get, is it, is it because you have to know the supply chain end to end or are chefs naturally a Obsessive, or is it that the experience is so immersive? What what lends itself to to this kind of uh, obsessiveness? 
I think it's a combination between the expectations from the ownership, mm-hmm. um, but also it's a, it's a definite control thing, you know, and and so it really comes down to to being a good leader and trusting your people. So I mean, if you can have a good team around you that you trust and you and you give good direction and and you you can take your hands off the wheel and say, all right, you guys got this. Like, please, you know, here's, here's how it gets done and just do it that way. And, you know, you allow people to make mistakes, you correct them. And, but I mean, too many mm-hmm. chefs just, uh, you know, they, they, instead of thinking of it as, as a, as a craft and a, a mentorship, they think of it as their, uh, uh, their reputation, mm-hmm. you know, their reputation, not the restaurant, not the restaurant tour. They put, the whole world on their back mm. and with the and, ego exactly and and then a lot of them will complain like the whole world is on my back you know it's like <laughs> it's, it's uh, it really comes down to just you know trusting in your team developing them allowing them to make mistakes and, and holding them accountable well i think it is you know like most things it's leaders going first so it's the people that we emulate like you charlie like sean brock who's doing things differently who are actively creating a new like playbook for people that Mm -hmm. if you guys go first and as you rise up the ranks and are saying, Hey, there's another way people, Mm -hmm. then I think it starts to slowly shift, but it does, it takes years and years and years of people seeing success happen in a different way. Exactly. Yeah. I really, I think that if chefs can consider their position as less of a, this is, this is mine and this is my reputation. And if they consider their jobs more as mentorship, teaching and development, then that's how you create a new culture. You know, that at that point you can, um, you can really start leaning on your team. Um, you can start looking at more community outreach. You can look, you know, you can look at the, the bigger picture that way, instead of just the food that's coming out of the kitchen, um, you're looking at, your legacy, you know, these people that you're developing and producing and, and, and really helping to get to the next level in their careers. And I, to me, I think that's a lot more gratifying than the food you put on a plate. Mm, God, that's good. I have been geeking out on chef's table. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It's just, I don't know what it is. And I like pause it and then I rewind it and I'm recording them and I'm like, Chad, come watch this. And there is, and I think the, I'm learning, just as you said that, Charlie, the people that I'm like really pulled toward as chefs, as people are the people that are maybe not perfectly, maybe they're messing it up, but they're trying to do what you're saying. Like, Mm -hmm. like they, they transcend the experience of the food and the restaurant and they're really trying to impact a, either a community or a region or, you know, salvage a, a cuisine that maybe have, has uh, gone underground. And so, mm-hmm. so having this like bigger impact, this me- d- deeper meaning to their work, I mm-hmm. find, I find riveting. And for some reason, nobody else does it for me that uh, unlike these chefs. Mm-hmm. Well, if you look at someone like a, uh... Uh, Jose Andreas. I mean, this guy, like, as soon as the uh, the virus hit, he swore up and down. He said, look, guys, I'm, I'm going to close my restaurants immediately because I don't feel like I'm doing justice uh, to anyone to keep them open. He also vowed to continue to pay all of his people as long as he could, like until he's out of money. 
which he has done uh, in all of his restaurants. Mm. Um, and he he's the first guy to show up when there's a, a, a natural disaster, um, when, you know, a tornado hits. He's bringing his whole team there to cook meals for people. Um, he's just he's on the front lines. You know, right now, uh, as soon as coronavirus hits, he started doing these uh, uh, these little videos from home with his daughters. And he's just like, I mean, jumping around the kitchen and, and being silly and, and teaching and inspiring and, and just making it like, oh, maybe this is fun. You know, maybe staying home for a little while is fun. Like, this yeah. is really cool. And and it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it, that to me was kind of eye opening because he has, uh, you know, I'm sure he has some ego, but you, he, it doesn't show, you know, and he's mm-hmm. one of the best chefs out there, but he's also one of the most inspiring people out there. And so stuff like that just, just really hits me. Yeah, me too. And I think, I think you're doing the the same thing, Charlie, you're walking that path too. I think that's, you know, I, I believe that the ego is important and I think it's something that we need to integrate into who we are, not dismiss because without ego, there is no mental health. It's, mm-hmm. but it's exactly what you're saying. How we, uh, you know, is the ego in the driver's seat and taking us in directions that are unhealthy and problematic, or is it is allowing us to leave a large legacy and a large impact on the people that we are with every day? So I think it's a a good distinction. Um, I'm curious in this COVID nineteen kind of pandemic time of life, how are you surviving? And then how are some ways that you're also thriving? Um, so just being able to, to continue to cook in front of people and with people, um, that's, I guess, kind of the survival mode there. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I, I feel like that's also um, a way that I've, uh, you know, almost propelled myself a little bit because um, a, a lot of people are going to look at that as kind of a, um, kind of awkward, you know, a lot of chefs are not very, um, uh, outgoing. Um, there's a lot of introvert chefs that, um, that may not be as successful with talking to groups of people or, or interacting with guests, which is completely fine. I mean, a lot of times that's why people put themselves in the kitchen is to, to kind of shield themselves from, you know, the, the, the normal people, you know, like restaurant yeah. people are, are like you know, have to be, able, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they have to be just a little bit off to work in kitchens. But, but I, I think that, um, you can, uh, I think this could be a really successful, uh, business model that, mm-hmm. um, people needed before the virus hit, you know, I think, um, you know, if you can connect family that may be in a different state or across the country or in a different country, um, and have them, you know, cooking the same meal, interacting, having fun, you know, maybe have a, a cocktail or a, or a mocktail or, you know, whatever it is, but you do have, you have one guy that's kind of kind of leading the, the class. Um, but you know, we, we have it as, as, you know, just as much as a social or a party as it is a, a class. So it's not just a, you know, it's a, that kind of makes the whole thing fun. And, and I think that, uh, you know, it, who knows if everything goes back to normal, then maybe I can uh, adapt this to, to whatever it needs to be. But I think uh, agility is kind of the, the key right now. Yeah, I, I love that because I think it I mean, it is survival because it's uh, it's what you do. It's who you are. It's what you've always done, but you're reinventing it. I think it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to see what happens with 
with this idea. I think it's going to take off. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah. And so is that, well, we're, I think we're curious, like, I, I don't know if, you know, a lot of people are saying that we're never really going to quite return to normal again. I don't know mm-hmm. the extent to which that may or may not be true. But when we, we do return to a normal sea again, um, what just what are some ways that you're wanting to hold on to what you're learning from the experience? Well, I think that... Um, you know, not, I don't want people to, to live in paranoia, but I do think that people are going to be ready for a lot more. Um, I think no matter what, we're going to have uh, uh, people are going to put safety precautions in measure. Um, uh, you know, everybody went out and bought rice and dried beans and, and probably 70 percent of them don't know what to do with, with dried rice or beans. And, and so I think, I think a lot more people are cooking right now and that's really important to me. Um, you know, so, so I think, you know, the, the educational piece that I can offer is going to be something that they can take with them forever. Um, give them a few new techniques, give them some fun stuff to, to do while they're doing it. And, uh, you know, I think, I think that if we can continue to, to urge people to, to cook with their family and, and take some more time to, to spend time with their family and friends and, and, you know, reach out and tell people that you love them, that you haven't talked to in a long time, then, you know, I think this is a, uh, that would be mm. fantastic to see, you know, continue. Yeah. What's sure. your, um, what's your relationship with an Instapot or an air fryer in the house? <laughs> um, I don't have either of those right now. Um, oh. I, I, I desperately want an Instapot cause yeah. like I, I love pressure cookers. Um, game changer. Air fryer, big fans. game changer. I can't wait. I mean, I, I, I have to get one and, and air fryers as well. Yeah, What's we're that? getting a new air fryer. We just ordered one. We use our yeah. Instapot literally five days a week. Yeah, cool, I just made cool. some killer beans. That's why I bring it up. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, fried chicken is my spirit animal. And so I really want to work on um, uh, figuring that part out. You know, if I can do fried chicken in an air fryer and feel healthy mm-hmm. while I'm eating it. Yeah, then, oh that's my goodness, we're, like, yeah, we're trying to get back to our relationship with that too. <laughs> did have a question you wanted to ask Charlie about what's a dish that you could oh yeah you could do at home yeah what's a dish that that's right what, what is a dish that is uh normally known as being kind of a restaurant dish that people might be surprised to hear AKA about hard to do <laughs> that people might okay. be surprised to hear about is great to cook in the home you know I think uh if you if you like fish I think I think doing a proper piece of salmon is uh mm-hmm. is like just absolutely amazing. And I think it, it, it scares people because you, uh, um, you know, to me, I'm, I'm all about that crispy skin. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and just like you're saying, like overcooking it is like, I mean, it's horrible. And so when you, when you, you know, if you use a nonstick skillet or a, or a large cast iron pan and you get it, you know, to, to a good medium heat, medium high, and you have just a little bit of oil in there and you put it skin side down, um, and I mean, you're leaving it in there for 10 or 12 minutes, you know, and you don't touch it. And so you're not cooking the top of it. The flesh is, is barely getting cooked, right. but the skin is getting nice and crispy. And then, you know, in the last 30 seconds or a minute, flip it over just for a minute. And then you, you know, you plate it on some, some quinoa or some, uh, you know, some rice and beans or something like that. But you, you do it skin side up. And when you hear that crunch, when you first go into it, I mean, it's just like, Oof, I could eat that like every it. day. Mm. Yeah. 
Chad's All taking right. notes. Copious <laughs> amounts of notes. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, the, the minute, 12 minutes on that skin side and only 30 seconds. Medium okay. heat. Mm-hmm. Well, you can, you can sit there and literally watch it cook. Like you'll see where it's, it's cooked next to the skin. So when it gets, you know, almost halfway up, then it's done. You flip it over just for, you know, we say flip it and kiss it. So you're just putting it in the oil just for a minute to, to where it's not pink. And then you uh, put it on the plate. Nice. I like it. Okay. So we finish every podcast asking the same three questions. And so we want to ask you those now. The first one is what is a book or a podcast you're reading or listening to right now that's leaving an impression on you? So there's a, uh, a podcast from uh, uh, Ed Levine who does, uh, he started Serious Eats. And the podcast is called Special Sauce. Um, it's, it's fantastic. Like he's, he's doing such a great job of, of uh, keeping it diverse, keeping it entertaining. Uh, it's educational, but it's also just a, a good listen. Um, I think the last one he had Sean Brock on there. Um, the one before that, he had two different episodes about fried chicken um, and, and the history of it. Uh, he incorporates the Southern Foodways Alliance, which is, you know, just the, it's a, you know, kind of an education on, on heritage foods and heritage cooking. Um, so that's a, that's a fantastic listen. Um, if, if you haven't heard of it, I'll, I'll definitely recommend that. Oh yeah. I need to know about oh, we're that. We're putting that in the show yeah, notes. For sure. Well, and, um, uh, Charlie, what is your morning routine look like? I mean, it sounds like it's been disrupted, but what are you doing now? Um, I usually just sleep through it. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just joking. No, I, I, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm somebody to say that like, I'm morning <laughs> <laughs> what's morning? No. Okay. So I'm, I am a, I am actually a morning person. Um, which again, that was another thing that, that goes against what chefs typically are wow. and do. So I forced myself to do that. Um, but you know, before I go to bed, I always make my list for the next day on what do I want to accomplish. What do I need to do? What, uh, you know, uh, maybe what I'm cooking. And that always kind of helps me go to sleep because I'm, I'm this guy that if I go to sleep and I have something on my mind, then I'm going to sit there and stare at the ceiling for the evening. And, and that's it. Um, and so when I wake up first thing in the morning, I kind of reorganize that list. Um, I might add to it or cross something out and say, that's not important today. I might add, you know, go for a long walk, uh, whatever it is. And, uh, I'm a big breakfast person, so I'm I'm always straight into breakfast after that, and I'm 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 also very into to exercise. Like my living room right now literally has a uh, uh, since the gyms are closed, I had to I went to a gym and actually rented a, uh, a cycle and a uh, rower, and so I'll I'll do one of those for an hour, and then uh, then I kind of start my day from there. Yeah, rowers are useful. Ooh, that's intense. Oh, yeah. yeah. That Absolutely. Yeah, that's good. Okay, last question, and this is my favorite because I always love the varied answers. What does big self mean to you? Um, hmm. I guess I guess it kind of means your, uh, your true self. Uh, so to me, it's kind of, uh, I guess, that, that balance between – maybe what people perceive of you um, versus kind of standing up for yourself, you know, cause if you, you know, to me personally, when I was young, I, no matter what, I kind of always wanted to uh, uh, 
make people feel good. And a lot of times I would do that at, you know, at a cost to myself. Mm -hmm. And so I think if you can balance, uh, you know, people's perception of you with taking care of yourself and standing up for yourself, um, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to roll over and and let people take advantage of me. But at the same time, I'm going to consider, you know, I'm going to continue to have that uh, empathetic, uh, you know, want to help people. Um, I think once you find that, then, then, then you find your, your, your big self. I love that. That's great. Yeah. And I, I talk so much about boundaries, you know, in the work Mm -hmm. I do and coaching people to really like self-discovery and like, who am I really? And then, and -hmm. what do I value? And then we have to create some boundaries around that. So that speaks so perfectly to what you're saying. So thank you for that. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, this has been a treat. You are a delight. I know you're so, you're busy, you're doing a lot. You're um, in transition right now with uh, being in Virginia. I'm glad that your aunt, it's your aunt, right? I think she's. Yes. Yeah. yeah okay. Where, where are you in Virginia? Uh, Leesburg, Virginia. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I went to high school here. I, I grew up here. My first restaurant was here or my first wow. restaurant job was here. Um, okay. and, uh, I went so to high school. Full circle. I, I yeah. went to high school in Richmond, Virginia. Oh no. Yeah. My, my sister lives there. Yeah. Yeah. We've not been back. I love there. Richmond. Yeah. yeah. Richmond's a cool city. Well, we appreciate yeah, you. Yeah, thanks so, so much. much for the time and for helping. Just like you know, there's with, big self does. We we there's all different kinds of people from all walks of life and all experiences, and um, you're you're bringing it from your perspective, and uh, we appreciate we we appreciate it. Now, y'all are awesome. I love the podcast, and and uh, I love what y'all are doing, and the uh, and the Facebook site as well is is, is also fantastic. Thank you. Thanks, man. Yeah. Well, you Absolutely. take care. Take care of yourself, okay? Thank you so much. Y'all do All the right. same. Thank you. Thanks, we'll Charlie. Thank you for tuning in to the Big Self Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, join the community on Facebook at the Big Self Society. You can find us at big underscore self on Twitter. And we are also at the Big Self Society on Medium, where we feature and curate content on topics ranging from psychology to creativity and productivity. We'd love to hear from you. What show made an impact on your thinking, your habits, your decision making, or anything else? And anyone you'd like us to reach out to and have on the show, let us know.